Oh, how's it going, Mean Brains? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Good, thank you. So uh, I've been just killing time by telling people about the nightmare I had last night about uh, not being able. I, I was at a conference where I was supposed to talk about DAOs, and literally everything went wrong over and over and over. So I, I won't. I won't tell the whole story again. But um, anyways, thanks for joining us. Good to have you here. That does sound like a nightmare, man. Yeah. <laughs> Usually my I dreams about you're DAOs are permissionless. Like, you like your, your next big thing's permissionless, right? I will be at, we're, uh, we're sponsoring permissionless. We'll have a booth. Yes. Awesome. Killer. Yeah. Killer. Yeah. I'll yeah, be yeah, at yeah, Toronto yeah, and I'll be heading over there after. Awesome. Sure. Yeah. Permissionless should be a lot of fun. Whoever's listening. I think this is going to be, it's my first one. It's the second permissionless ever. I wasn't at the last one. I think this will be a very DAO oriented crypto event because it's hosted in partnership with Bankless DAO, uh, at least with yeah. Bankless LLC. Um, and, uh, so the guys on Bankless, which is a very popular podcast, uh, started by a couple guys who also started one of the early DAOs called Bankless. It's very successful. Um, they talk about it every single episode. So I think a lot of like their audience will be there, which is a, a good audience. So definitely recommend. That's good. No, I definitely got to yeah. be there. It's going to be a, in, in this type of market too, it, it's really good to just, you know, I met up for coffee the other day with another person in city DAO and, and to meet IRL like that. It's just, um, there's nothing like it, you know, to, to bring the face-to-face the -face aspect, the actual relationship building to complement that, you know, that, that digital typing that we do all day long without a face yeah. to the name, you know? And, and yeah. so, yeah, if, if that's what permissionless is going to be, then um, I think it's going to be a very good thing. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I've been working on some financial modeling for the next couple of years, and I'm trying to just be prepared for like a really long crypto winter, even though it seems like maybe we're on our way out of it now. Right. It's been a good uh, several months price wise, but um, just trying to be prepared. And I'm looking at, OK, in three to six months, if things are not going well, do we cut our events budget? And, you know, versus cutting other things. And it's like, yep. man, on one hand, we could get by without going to events. Right. I mean, like life will go on. I can always try to, like, call people and you know do virtual stuff like this. But on the other hand, they do feel so important, if only from like a vitality standpoint, like you know, being reminded of why we're in the space in the first place. And like you said, building those connections. So I don't know. You know, I, I feel like uh, two, two people go to the same event and walk away with entirely different experiences, right? Mm. There's this, there's this uh, buzz or stigma around events that you can spend, you know, your entire marketing budget for the whole year and just travel around feeling popular, feeling active, <laughs> but not being able to differentiate between the activity versus the productivity. And mm -hmm. this is a real thing. You know, I used to do a lot of event production back in Toronto in the early days of my, my career. And, um, and it's very true. I had people coming to all my events nonstop and they were at every single event. And I don't know what they actually accomplished outside of just being at the events. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean that, you know, there is a certain addiction to the, to the high, the buzz, the, the, yeah. the energy that gets thrown around in there. Now, on the flip side, you have other people that show up in events and maybe they didn't, they hardly spent any money. They, they just got the cheapest hotel or they shared lodging with other people in their DAO and they show up with a, with a plan of who they want to meet and how that, they want that to work. Uh, and, and they got a funnel, right? Even if it's not a written down funnel on a piece of paper, they got a funnel. They're like, okay, I'm going to meet these types of people. And from there, I'm going to filter down to see who's interested in this stuff. And from there, we're going to, you know, invite them on the pod or get myself invited on a pod or, or uh, start a little demo or get some product feedback or do, do um, some collaboration together or maybe recruit for a new team member and have spreadsheets to track all this stuff. And they walk away from the event after like four days with like two weeks worth of productivity finished with face-to-face -face IRL contacts to really leverage to, to do something with. And then you have another person mm -hmm. that goes to an event and they walk away afterwards. They, they've been drinking every night. 
They spent all their money. Uh, they're tired. They're, they're backlogged in their work and they don't know what to show for it other than they had fun. Right. And, yeah. and so those are the two personality types that I think it's, um, it's important to consider. Mm. You know, if you go into an event like that uh, with a good plan, you can come out really far ahead. So I think the budget itself to me is slightly neutral. Keep the budget or exit the budget. It's more about, okay, mm. how productive can we be on it? Or how could we be even more productive? But those, those are my thoughts anyways. That's what yeah, I you know, <laughs> I usually go into it trying to avoid being that last type of person that you described that stays out drinking all night and hung over the next day. So yep. luckily, I think it's been a while since I had that type of event experience. <laughs> Definitely in my old career, uh, when I was in study abroad and I was in my 20s. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was like I felt like I had to out drink my competitors. Like, yep. like that was somehow part of my job as the CEO of a little study abroad startup. Um, and so that's what I tried to do. And that's what I did. You know, I was in a fraternity, so I, was, I did it. <laughs> and, and some, you know, and it's weird to say, but sometimes those little splashes of wildness are actually needed in a very big positive as well. That's um, true. Absolutely. So, so then it's like, okay, well, how can we do that in a controlled manner? All right. Like for me, if yeah. I mix drinks, it's a big problem. If I stick with the same thing all night, it's a very good thing. And, and cut off after a certain part and, you know, a big slice of pizza before bed and all these kind of things. And, you know, maybe you miss yeah, the event true. the next morning and sleep in a bit. But there's, there's, there's just, I guess the point is that there's, you can go into an event reactively or proactively. And I guess that's yeah. all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay, so not legal advice, not financial advice on this episode, but drinking advice you will receive here on Just <laughs> Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. And uh, I'll just do the intro real quick, even though we're several minutes in. And by the way, I don't think we should cut any of that, including me telling people about my, my nightmare about uh, DAOs last night. Um, but uh, <laughs> this is the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal and regulatory frameworks for DAOs and Web3. And prior to starting my DAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. As you can tell, we are recording live, so we apologize for any technical difficulties. And this will also be live on our uh, podcast feed later today. As always, the first half of the episode will be the Just DAO It News Report, where Meme Brains and I will dig into recent DAO news and share our hot takes, what we agree with, disagree with, and, and try to break it down into what uh, is relevant about this news for people starting DAOs today. Uh, don't forget to check out our other uh, new series, the DAO Masterclass series, which is on the same feed hosted by my colleague, Jana, where she brings uh, lawyers, tax advisors, and other professional uh, experts on to talk about DAO-related issues. So, uh, Meme Brains, welcome. Why don't you give a quick uh, introduction to yourself before we get started? Sure. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, uh, started really early and I dropped out of high school to start my first company, which was in event production back in Toronto. Uh, then I got into construction. I had a, a team I built up to about 60 people doing 7 million ARR with um, almost every major customer in the city, uh, property manager, I should say. And, um, and, then, and then in that business, I learned a lot about um, you know, what a good model is, what a bad model is, what the long-term visions are. And, and I discovered crypto around the same time. I built my first mining farm in the garage, converted it all, you know, had the whole thing flowing and, and thought, you know what, this is, this is a revolution like the internet that's going to change humanity forever. And, and I need to get involved. So I sold that company uh, for a cash sale and just dove into crypto pretty much all the way. That was starting in like 2017 and 18. And, um, and that led me, uh, I did the digital nomad thing for a while, traveled around, you know, Thailand and Japan and, in uh, Greece and, and all over California and in different parts of the world, and um, and and you know did my first startup. It was a, a wild meme venture and you know raised some capital on that and met my co-founder. And uh, you know that venture has been a, a weird one, mostly on pause. And in that whole process, I discovered DAOs. And DAOs to me, where, when I because I got into I got into this world because 
to me, I looked at Bitcoin and I thought Bitcoin is this opportunity for the world to have better money that has ripple down effects in every aspect of life. And that, that really is something I, I latch on to. And, and then when mm -hmm. I saw DAOs and the concepts of the network state, I thought, wow, this is whereas Bitcoin is the future of money, DAOs in the network state could be the future of how we get together, how we like of government, future of government, the future of human organization as we know it. Mm -hmm. And and that was, was, again, something I could not turn away from. I had to go and follow that rabbit hole. And that led me to being involved with CityDAO. I'm a core contributor there right now. I run their podcast and, uh, you know, help out with all different a whole bunch of different types of initiatives. Um, I'm getting more and more involved with 8.0 these days. Uh, I've been following around with Krausehouse for a long time, um, helping out with the early, early launches here of, of Collabland and just being, you know, a member and launching apps on their on their mini app store. And um, and and now we and right now I'm also and like I said, I'm a founder for life. So uh, we have this. We have, me and my, my co-founder we entered the the East Denver Hackathon earlier this year with a a product to build for for DAOs and and we ended up winning over there. So it was super awesome to you know, have that win under the belt. And then we got a couple of grants and now mm. we're building and, um, you know, and onboarding people. And, and it's been a, we've only been live for like two and a half weeks. So it's, it's a really, really exciting time right now. So that's a little oh, bit wow. about my past and present. Awesome. Awesome story. Um, amazing. I, I also, I started my first company just before high school uh, building, it was most businesses first websites. So it was restaurants and hotels. And I mean, literally most people didn't have a website in the late nineties when I was a, a young teenager. So I was, building their first website and front page and, and making almost as much money as I do now. Yeah. Cause <laughs> back then there was this massive bottleneck, right? Everyone yeah. not only wanted a website, they needed it. And, and all no one the knew money how to make was it. opened. Yeah. And yeah, all the money's right. open and, and you just someone yeah. online, you know, charging whatever you want. And, and it's, yeah. it's bull run time. Literally it's just bull run madness. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of which, I think you mentioned this too, but the, the, what's happening in crypto today reminds me so much of what it was like in the 90s in the internet. And I know this trope is mentioned a lot, but I just want to emphasize it because and a lot of the smartest people I meet that are in Web3 now, in crypto now, have the exact same feeling. And a lot of them were older, right? They're not all like teenagers during the, the internet bubble. They were more experienced in their careers, 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever. And this just feels so similar because it's like the people who are involved in it just can tell that we're building something like so powerful that like is, is like this underlying substrate that can change everything. And we're not changing everything yet. And other people, everyone's going to have to come in and we're going to have to change everything together eventually. But it's like so obvious that we're building this substrate that makes so much more possible in the world. Um, even though most people out there, you know, wouldn't agree or, or just don't see it. Yeah. You know, I was speaking with um, a friend of mine over at, I won't mention the the VC's name, but it's, you know, very well known, you know, uh, first check type org with a lot of history. And I was saying, you know, my, my startup isn't, we're not, we're not doing a fundraise right now, but I wanted to, you know, pick his brain and hear what he has to say so that I'm prepared uh, for when we do fundraise. So what, what, what should I focus on the next six months to build that up and, 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 be able to do a successful raise. And, you know, he was very, he was very, very bearish on DAOs. And he was like, you know, I, in his words, he's like, you know, I don't think people are going to be inter interested in governance. And I don't think that there's a monetization option. And I don't think that there's a, an acquisition option. And, and there was all these, you know, arguments against the industry, you could say. And, um, and, and it really makes a person take a step back and, and look at, you know, how did they develop that perspective? Where did that come from? And what does that mean? And what are the steps forward? You know, and a lot of that's related, in my opinion, around the hype cycles that come with the bull and, and bust. Yeah, people jump in and they get all excited and then they get hurt and then they leave and they have this negative attitude around it. And, um, and you know, and, and I'm really curious to see like where this next bull run goes. Because like there's this 
obviously the negative sentiment, but but if you look at uh, you know the, the quantity of votes that go on, or or the the certain DAOs that are still here and still building, and the core people that are still there, like these people weren't there prior to the last bull run, right? Mm -hmm. So we're we're, we're going to be entering the next bull run with this core base of people, thousands of people that thousands, didn't exist before, at least. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't that are like working on doubt, like like full like full time or like large amount of their time working on doubt infrastructure, yep. DAO leadership, DAO processes, right? All this stuff that that no one was working on last time around when these VCs might have joined a DAO or two, poked around and been like, oh my God, this is difficult. I'm getting <laughs> out of here. So yep. it's gonna be different this time. And still, still they'll be relatively new. It's a great point about the hype cycle too. I mean, I, I cannot underestimate in my observation how much people are affected by market cycles, right? In, in the regular markets and in the crypto markets. It's like, and maybe especially investors or especially people that are in it a little bit more surface level. I mean, literally, if you look at all the articles in the media about crypto, when the market's going up, it's like, this is the next big thing. When the market's going down, it's like, how did anyone ever think this could be a thing in the first place? And it's like, how could yeah, you believe those, both of those things uh, over the course of just like a couple of years? <laughs> um, by, by not doing any research. That, that, that's like the first yeah, thing, you know, to just yeah. listen to the headlines and follow that is dangerous. But but I have, um, you know, I got a question for you. I've, I've been, if you don't, if you don't mind me diving into this, I've been, uh, yeah, I've been reflecting on this and I don't have an answer and I, I keep thinking about it. But when I think about the, the topic of misaligned incentives, Right. So why is participate like, for example, in CityDAO, we have a, a 7.6 percent average participation on, uh, the, you know, the 59 proposals that have gone out. You know, NounsDAO has like 40 percent participation. Amazing. Other DAOs that I'm studying have like two and three percent participation. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, when I look at this, why do some people not participate? You know, you, you spent money on, a, on an NFT and you're not participating. Why? Well, uh, I categorize people that are in DAOs in three ways. We have the builders, people that are there to build, whether that's you know building the tech, building the relations, whatever it is, builders. And then there's the other two, squatters and flippers. And the squatter is someone who maybe bought the NFT or bought the token and they forgot about it, or they lost the wallet, or they got busy, or they, they meant to and then they just didn't. But either way, they're there and they're not contributing in any way. They just you know got this token. And then the flippers are the ones that specifically intentionally get in for a financial gain. Even though this is not financial advice and we put all the disclaimers and everything, mm -hmm. they jump in for financial gain. They're trying to make money mm -hmm. and, um, and they have no interest in building. They only have interest in hype. And, and that's just the way it is. So, so you could say that the squatters and flippers are maybe negative towards the Dow and, uh, you know, a, a drastic high level mindset would say, okay, we got to get rid of them. You know, we, we got to be, got to be all gone. We can only have builders inside the org. Well, that's short term, because if you take a step back, how did... Like what, what happens in a DAO where you get an idea, you get people together, you get excited. And then what's next? You raise some money. How do you raise money? You raise money often in a DAO by launching a token, launching an NFT. And those, and there has to be people to buy them, right? And whatever the reasons for buying them, they have to be there. If we removed squatters and flippers entirely from the launch of the NFT or the token, and you only had builders that were going to buy those NFTs or those tokens, would they actually sell out or would they sell out at the price that they have been? And I, yeah. and I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to speculate and say probably not. To some degree, yeah, you need, you, need, well, you need investors, right? You need capital. Um, and so I, I think, you know, to, to, your, to your question, I mean, look, first of all, I don't think voter participation rate should be a, a, a primary uh, a representative factor in determining whether a DAO is succeeding or not. 
I don't think there's any problem if one DAO has 50% participation, another one has 2%, or more likely that you know some votes will get 50% or 90%, other votes will get 2%. There's a lot of good reasons for why some people might not care about most of the decisions made by an organization, either because the stakes aren't that high or because the people who care enough or know enough are voting and that's fine. Um, or just because they do, you know, they bought in for a financial interest, but they don't really care. They just trust everyone else to make good decisions. Like whatever the reason, those reasons are, I don't think we can just look at voter turnout as, as, as a metric. Um, I do think that this question of course is really important of like, what is the optimal kind of like governance structure um, of a DAO when you think about the different stakeholders and, and the way that they might want to participate. And I think, especially if you, if you think of, what you called flippers, I would call investors or flippers. Right? Flippers sounds more like mm-hmm. traders. Investors are important. Like to me, actually, one of the most exciting things about DAOs is it represents the future of capitalism and, and democracy. And and I, I've always believed that those two things go hand in hand. I'm very much a, a pro, a classical liberal enlightenment style, like pro-democracy person, pro-capitalist, pro-freedom. And I think these two things are going to work in concert so well together because they allow for capitalization in so many situations that you could not capitalize things before like communities and nonprofits are two great examples where you know no no community like all the people who love like beanie babies for example ever had a market cap where they could go sell another 10% of their tokens raise money and then use it to do cool stuff related to beanie baby you have the beanie baby company but not the community of people who love beanie babies or whatever or palm trees right same thing with nonprofits we've never before had nonprofit you know, corporate, whatever you want to call them, nonprofit organizations that because they have a governance token or NFTs or whatever it is that give people some utility, some governance rights. Now they have a market cap too. And that market cap might be billions of dollars, right? So for the first time, not only can a for-profit company sell 10% of its equity, but now a nonprofit Beanie Baby DAO can uh, sell 10% of its governance tokens to raise money and then go use that money to, to go um, fulfill its mission. So just one more thing to answer your question. I'm curious what your reaction is too. And we have some good live questions too that I'll bring in. Um, but um, uh, I think, um, so t- take a classic organizational structures today. And let's just talk about a for-profit company like Starbucks. Right? Starbucks, you know, they have their investors and they have their contributors and their management. Right. All those people are stakeholders already today. Customers, on the other hand, yeah, they can say that they're stakeholders, but really they operate really just for the purpose of maximizing profit or maybe ESG and other factors for the management team, for this, for the shareholders, for the employees, um, because those are the people making the decisions and with power. Now, let's say Starbucks said we want to give one share of Starbucks or one option in Starbucks stock to every single person who walks into the store and every dollar they spend, they're getting one option or 0.1 options, whatever it is. Today, it's, it's physically impossible because of the nature of how stock and stock options work in the current legal system, right? And the way that we keep track of stock and stock options, it, it would cost a thousand times as much as the value of the option to actually give the option or the stock. And so it's literally impossible. Yeah. Come DAOs and tokens and all the technology that we're building, suddenly it is costless, free and easy if you want to give one token or one-tenth of a token or whatever to every single person who walks into your store. And now for the first time in history, it's possible to share 
uh, governance rights, ownership rights, whatever you want those tokens to represent with your entire customer base as well. And so that I think that is really powerful and that will lead to organizations that have much more diverse uh, stakeholder sets than anything that came before. And, and I do think that will be powerful. And, and whoever wants to vote and whether it's 2% or 80%, I think matters less than the fact that the customers of my company, customers of Starbucks would rather have some say in the future of Starbucks than not have any say. And so if they're choosing between Pete's and Starbucks today, and, and maybe they like the coffee the same, but Starbucks, you get to be like a part owner or part governor of the future of the company. That, that's the store you're going to go buy your coffee from. It changes things a lot. You know, I'm in, in Krausehouse, technically with my tokens and my NFTs, I quote unquote, you know, govern a basketball team in the big three league, you know, run by Ice Cube. And I, I can't imagine, like, I, I have no idea if there's another place, another way that I could do something like that, that I could have a say and participate in the voting and the governance of a basketball team or a sports team. I'm not aware of what it is. Now, somewhere out there, I'm sure that there's options. And if I was IRL in person and I was there and I, and I said, do something, then they would probably do it. Like there's different ways to be involved in orgs for sure. But uh, to your point, it's, I, I've never seen it to be this easy or this broad, or, you know, I, I have a, an NFT with LinksDAO as well, right? So technically, and they bought their golf course already. So what does that mean? That, that means that I'm governing a golf course. I'm, how does that even possible? That, that sentence strung together <laughs> wouldn't even be imaginable yeah. before. I'm, I'm governing a basketball team and a, a golf course at the same time from my living room. And yeah, sure, I'm not making all the decisions, but I'm a part of decisions. And I'm, and right. you know, one of my one of my Bitcoin maximalist friends, and and I, you know, for the most part, I do consider myself a Bitcoin maximalist in the way that, to me, there's no alternative, there's no better money other than Bitcoin in the ecosystem. And 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 just as a side note, uh, there's this argument about Bitcoin Ethereum, but to me, Ethereum isn't designed to be better money for the world. That's not its purpose. So it's not really like the right comparison. Bitcoin is the better money. Uh, concept. That's that's what their vision is. That's what the purpose is. That's what I think they're going to do very well at. But anyway, that's a maximalist conversation mm, for later. Yeah. The problem <laughs> the problem with the maxis I find is that that um, there's this hate on everything non Bitcoin for the sake of hating it, without any sort of thought around what it is. Now, sure, most things out there are scams in this world, and that's very true, and that's a valid way to justify just hating everything, I guess. But um, one of their perspectives on why they hated DAOs, this guy particularly, he's a true OG in the space for sure. He hated DAOs because he said anyone that, that buys a share in a publicly traded company has a vote on the publicly traded company. It's the same thing, just regurgitated and it's meaningless. Well, that, I don't buy that at all. I mean, I, I own a number of shares. I own, like I own shares in Netflix and Disney. What type of proposals and voting and input do I have the opportunity yeah. to do in Netflix and Disney? I don't. Sure, maybe technically, re realistically, I do. But it is absolutely not the same experience, not the same impact, not the same yeah. connection, not the same excitement, not the same you know invested emotional interest. It is it's a paradigm shift, and, yeah. and what we have right now in the Dell world is uh, to me it's it's the most exciting thing I've seen in such a long time. Well, and and let's apply that that same concept to like the ownership of a basketball team. So there are some professional sports teams that are publicly traded or some combination of private public where people who live in the city or live in the state are allowed to buy in and become shareholders of the team. So technically you have some governance rights, but what happens when a public company wants to do a vote of the shareholders? It costs millions of dollars. You use third parties like transfer agents and like, I forget, other paper processing companies. It takes months. You literally need to give months because some people still take their proxy ballot by mail. 
right? Not everyone's doing it online and there needs to be all this error checking and, you know, uh, fraud proofing and all this stuff. And so, you know, so someone might come along and say, well, OK, well, corporations, they're already really close. They, they do voting. We just need to speed up the proxy system. And now we have DAOs. And you know what I would say? Yeah, you're right. And DAOs are the ones building the technology that makes that possible. So if, <laughs> if someone wants to be a, a corporation and they don't have to call themselves a DAO, but in a few years, they're going to be using some of the tech, not of three years, five years, 20 years, whatever. They're going to be using the technology that we're building today in the blockchain world to make that happen. And so I don't call, and that's why sometimes, you know, people talk about the future of DAOs. I think what people think of as a DAO today, you know, people, whether that changes or not, and whether most of the impact we have is going to be had on organizations that call themselves DAOs or not, I don't know. But this technology and these systems we're developing are going to be implied, applied in governments, in for-profit companies, non-profit companies, communities, social groups, and all kinds of places that we can't even imagine because we don't currently, like, like communities are a good example. Most communities are not structurally organized. There's purely kind of social, cultural uh, uh, systems uh, with, with no, no, no like technical structure, right? But I think that will change in the future. They will have a technical structure that will be tokens of some kind and something like a DAO. I think so. The way, the way I describe a DAO, to me, to me a DAO is the natural evolution of human organization. Yep. Now, if we really you know, break it down, a DAO is simply a group of people getting together to do something. And humans have been getting together to do things since we were human. Since before we were human, before we had, you know, developed yeah. the frontal lobe and probably even developed the thumb, you know, before that we were, life gets, most life gets together in groups to do things, specifically mammals and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and humans are no exception. So in some ways, a, a DAO is just another group of people getting together to do things. But the difference is that we're leveraging new tools that didn't exist before. You know, when yep. humans started using fire, it kind of evolved us to a new level. When we started using the internet, it evolved us to a new level. When we're, and now we're using blockchain and finding ways that blockchain increase the efficiencies and help us get to those outcomes that we're looking for better and smoother and more yeah. effectively. That's to me what differentiates and, and gives the, and gives the phrase of a DAO, right? Cause, cause like, look at yeah. some, I always like looking at wall street bets and, and how that all happened, right? We mm. got this, this centralized group that, that, you know, is basically manipulating a market and, and taking people, taking people's money. It, it frustrates enough people that people stand up and they're like, no, Right. We're, we're done. And they get together and they form a group and they and they form a wall and they align on a mission and a vision and on actions. And they go and they take that action and they win. Right. They won that battle. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was no blockchain tech for that. They didn't use blockchain to make the decision making. They just made it happen. They were a DAO without the DAO. They were a community of people that were aligned on a vision and they made it happen without using blockchain. And that's great. People have been doing that for thousands of years, too. Uh, mm -hmm. There's certain instances where a DAO starts to become useful, like when you're trying to manage a golf course or manage a basketball team or, mm -hmm. or build, mm -hmm. a, a, build a, a city of the future like CityDAO is or, you know, fill in the blank other DAO. There, there's instances where you need to have tools above and beyond just talking on a Reddit channel. And that's where uh, that's where the term in my mind, DAO starts to coin itself. I don't know what you think about yeah. that, but that's that's how that's how I think about it. Yeah, well, and relatedly, I think a, a good model, a good mental model I like to use to think about what we're building in the world of DAOs and the DAO industry is a new set of capabilities, some technology capabilities, some business capabilities that will complement the 
hundreds, thousands, millions, however you want to categorize all of the capabilities that have already been around for a while and that people use in the corporate world, that people use in government, et cetera. And today, I think a reason that VCs like the one you talk to and, and most investors that I talk to are not really hot on DAOs right now is that most of the early DAOs and most of the DAOs today, they're 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 not taking from any of the old stuff. Like we don't want to use any of the stuff we've used before. We only want to use the new stuff. So we're going to try to buy a golf course, govern whatever assets or resources or do whatever community thing together um, or build whatever project using only the new technologies, the new capabilities, the new styles of management and leadership and process and policy, only the new stuff. And, and that's really hard. Like we're setting ourselves up for like a really difficult situation when we say we want to both build a, some kind of business, right, which is already really hard, even if you're just doing it the old way. And we want to develop this entirely new way of doing business at the same time. Right? And I think that's what a lot of us are doing in the DAOs that we're a part of today. Um, but I think where the success, where a lot of success will come from is by combining the two models. And so that does mean maybe combining a corporate, a traditional corporate structure with tokenization and perhaps slightly greater frequency or power given to, you know, the shareholders and maybe the shareholders include customers, right? So maybe that's on one end of the spectrum. And then in the middle, you know, maybe you just have a DAO that does elect a CEO through direct democracy and call it a head chef, call it whatever you want. But you do elect someone who then manages the employees. And maybe you, and maybe you just retain the right to fire that person with a moment's notice if you get enough votes, right? That is already radically different from almost any other company that, that exists in reality, right? In reality, it, it's me as a CEO, my board that I'm really close to. I probably manage the board meetings too. And you know, we, we might go to the shareholders sometimes for a vote. Maybe there's some way for them to like come together and insist that we have a vote. I don't, I, I don't even know if that's possible in my own company, right? Um, in the future, you know, oh yeah, with DAOs, right? You can you can make it so that people really do have much more direct control. But still, that's 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 something you don't see in the world of DAOs today. You really see very few DAOs with a CEO. But I would say though, and I wonder if you agree, but a lot of the people I know who have been working on DAOs for a while, I think do agree that we should be willing to use some of the old techniques, whether that's HR, whether that's uh, you know management, whether that's you know whatever some of these things are that actually work. Yeah, like there's, we get excited about something new and it's tempting to throw out the old, but the old systems have gotten us to where we are today. And although imperfect and highly troublesome and specifically in different parts of the world, uh, or even right here at home, there's problems for sure. There's always going to be problems, but, but look at where we are compared to, you know, 10,000 years ago, something's working and the, the direct democracy vibe and, and energy is is to me how this ecosystem started the DAO ecosystem started uh, you know if if we're struggling if we're frustrated with centralization whether it's big brother or or big company or whatever it is then um, we have to go to the opposite we gotta we gotta take the pendulum and, and swing it all the way to the other side and go extreme direct democracy on every single thing we'll hold a vote mm -hmm. on yeah. which pencils to buy and where and we'll, we'll hold a vote on when to hold the vote and then we'll hold a vote on which people are going to vote on when to vote and it goes to infinity. And that's yep. not working either. I think that most DAOs have realized that direct democracy is not the way of the future. That's not how this works. So the, the trends that I'm seeing right now anyways are heavily leaned into the liquid democracy and the representative democracy. And to me, when I look at, if we look at a liquid democ 
a representative liquid democracy compared to, let's say, our traditional systems in politics today. Let's say Canada, United States, um, just using them. So uh, if I vote for a president or a prime minister or a local MP, uh, I'm, I'm stuck with that person for as long as they're in term, let's say four years, whatever it mm -hmm. is. And if they fail to fulfill their promises in those four years, what are my options? Well, typically none. Typically I wait. And after that four years is done, uh, if, they've, if they've failed, then I can vote in someone else. Now, look at the damage that can happen in four years if they're not fulfilling their promises and worse if they're if they're you know actually causing damage so sure there's a vote of no confidence that exists if someone really extremely goes in the wrong side it happened in england not that long ago uh you know and you have to kick someone out it, there there are sometimes uh, some options maybe but look at the frequency of uh votes of no confidences and how that turns into an actual leadership change how often does that happen almost never very 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 rarely yeah. So what are the real options? If I'm not happy with someone that I voted in, let's say I'll, I'll focus on Canada for a bit and the truckers movement that happened there. There were people that were upset with, uh, and I, I'm not saying I'm for trucker movement or, or against it. I'm just saying, uh, look at what happened. And we got a group of people that are frustrated about fill in the blank policy. And they're frustrated enough that they're, they're ready to, to, to make that change, but they can't, they're stuck in the system. I just said, they got to wait four years. So, so the last thing they can do is hopefully they're gonna they're gonna so they're gonna take time off work, right? They're gonna Strike, go right? to the store and buy picket signs. They're gonna mm -hmm. write on them, and then they're gonna run down the streets while they're taking time off work, not making money. They're not remember. They're not bringing money in for their families right now. They're not they're not putting food on the table anymore. They're running down the streets with a hockey stick and a piece of cardboard taped on it, saying you know F Trudeau or whatever the sign happens to say. And they're running down the streets back and forth, rallying all their friends, convincing all of their friends to take time off work and stop making money. And, and basically the pitch is, hey, stop putting food on the table so you can run down the street with a hockey stick and we can just make noise. Why? Because if they make enough noise, the media might pay attention. And if the media pays attention, then maybe that media will push all the way up to parliament and maybe parliament will finally pay attention. If we get, if we get a million people across Canada running down the streets, um, you know, making noise, maybe parliament will pay attention, maybe. Right now, if that doesn't work, uh, what's the next step? Well, you got you got to be disruptive is what the rioters would say. So they, they jump in cars and start honking their horns and, and keeping people up at night, honking their horns and blocking them out of their own driveways or from their own neighborhoods, shutting down streets, going international uh, trade routes for, for truckers. Like there's how much disruption do you have to make in order to make change? And to me, that's a symptom of a poorly designed system. There's no eject button for a political leader who fails. And, and if we're functioning in a DAO, instead of taking time off, where, let's say we're using blockchain technology, whatever, whatever it's called, DAO or, or otherwise, I don't care what it's called. If we're using blockchain technology to validate who I am and cast my vote, instead of taking time off work, convincing my friends to do the same, running down the street, breaking windows, hurting people, getting in fights, lighting things on fire, making noise, blocking people from their houses for months on end, instead of that, I could press a button. Just pull your vote, and this, right? And pull my vote. And right there, there's no... Look, how much money gets spent on political elections on an annual or a biannual basis? Billions, billions of dollars, right? And if I don't like how they're performing, I'm stuck. There's a marketing propaganda to, to brainwash me to make a vote whether or not they perform. Now, if it's a liquid democracy and... Like, put it this way. If, there's, if it's a liquid democracy that you could lose your vote any second, then you can't sustain billions of dollars of marketing on an on a ongoing basis every single day for years. It can't work. It, the liquid democracy button-based uh, uh, changing my vote system eliminates 
the, the billions of dollars of campaigning budget because no one's going to invest billions of dollars in campaigning if they, if they could lose their vote tomorrow. The, the most effective thing for them to do to keep that vote and gain those votes is to just do good work, mm -hmm. right? Do good things in the world. Follow through on your promises. Be accountable. Do the right things that a leader is supposed to do because if you do that, liquid democracy will come and, and recognize it and you will gain votes. You don't need billions of dollars and it's a, it's a result oriented system. So anyways, I'm, I'm really passionate about that, but that's, yeah. That's well, let's, and I, let me just take a second to um, make, to explain to someone who maybe hasn't heard the terminology before uh, what, what's meant by this liquid representative democracy. So specifically uh, the idea is that you are giving your vote to someone, but it's only temporary and you can pull it back at any time. Right. And so in the traditional voting systems in the West, in the whole world that I'm familiar with, right, you go to a physical ballot box. Uh, it takes months to prepare those ballots, the machines to get volunteers, you know, to make sure everyone knows when voting day is and where to go. And so then you all go, you vote and it takes a, a couple of weeks, few weeks to count all the votes. So there's literally no it, with the current technology there's no way to do liquid representative democracy, right? Because there's no way to always be counting votes, you know, in and out any moment, um, let, you know, even every week. Um, but again, using blockchain technology, it's really easy to just say, okay, well, I'm giving my votes to this person, this person, that person. And then one day when I get really fed up with them, instead of protesting, which is what you very creatively and artistically dramatically described as people running around the streets with hockey sticks, which by the way, at least they could play hockey. As long as someone oh, yeah. has a puck. And so that's a plus of, of that. That's that how you know the vote counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But instead of doing all the protesting, right, it, you could sig all those people could instantly signal to politicians that they feel very strongly about what they would have otherwise been protesting about by just pulling their votes in that moment. Right. And so now there's a way for politicians and your representatives to see what people think with a much higher resolution, right? Like much higher frequency um, of, of being able to understand what people are saying and you can react and you can hopefully change. And, and so that, I think that's a way that da what we're building with DAOs could apply to actual world governments, but the same thing can be applied to companies, right? And other types of organizations where instead of electing a board, once a year, if even you really have that right, like technically you do, but again, it's like, do you really, um, you could, you know, give or pull your vote away from someone to be on that board at any time. And so now there is more incentive for that board to always be, you know, doing what people want them to do. Now, I also hear really good counter arguments that I don't necessarily 100% agree that they are a reason not to go in this direction, but the counter arguments are like, well, look at all the problems with democracy today, you know, and people make bad decisions. And now you're just going to let people make even more bad decisions because like one moment you're going to have one leader and then the next moment you'll have someone else. And then what if you go back to that other person? Are they just going to be like reversing each other's policies over and over and over? And I do agree that this could get messy and there could be issues that we have to overcome or maybe issues that we even can't avoid. But, but to me, it's a philosophical issue of believing in democracy and believing in freedom and believing in people being allowed to choose their own leaders and being allowed to uh, choose the direction of their organizations or countries or states or whatever as, as an end, not just a means to an end. And if it's messy, that's fine. That that's it's up to people to decide how they want to vote. Yeah. It, to me, it's a, it's a cost benefit analysis. You know uh, you know, I'm drinking a coffee right now. And if we look scientifically at potentially the negative effects of coffee, we could come up with a very, very long list if we wanted to. And 
at the end of the day, there's also a benefit that coffee brings. You know, I enjoy it. It, feels, it makes my brain a little bit more sharp. Um, you know, there, there's, I enjoy the experience of it and flavoring and, and tasting different beans. There's a lot of different benefits as well. And so if, if people say democracy is dead, if, if, and we list out all the different issues that democracy has, then we also have to look at the alternatives to democracy. And we have to evaluate those alternatives and, and compare those alternatives objectively to democracy. And after we do that, that comparative objective analysis, then we can decide whether or not we should proceed with democracy or not. And if we look at, let's just say, the extreme opposite of, of democracy, and let's say we go into you know, communism or, or fascism or even just extreme socialism, fill in the ism that you want, right? It is, if democracy is dead and democracy is not the way of the future, then what is? Is communism the way of the future? Have we really, people that are saying democracy is dead and has no future, I challenge you. Have you really thought about the, the true alternatives? You know, I know, I know a bunch of people that are uh, self-declared anarchists. And when I, when I talk to them about their philosophy of where they think the world should go, it is literally a deconstruction of everything that we know today back to being fucking caveman. Sorry for swearing, but like literally it's a deconstruction of everything positive that we've built in the world into, into nothingness. Just because there's a frustration about the current systems and a desire in a, in a utopian vision of the good old days back when we, you know, lived in huts all together as, as friends and community. Um, and and I'm sure that some anarchists maybe can explain it differently than the way it's been explained to me so far. But based on how it has been explained to me so far, it is not a viable alternative no. to democracy, right? Which, and, which that's my yeah. point of view. Which makes me realize, like, I should actually couch one of the things I said, which I said, democracy, capitalism, and freedom. But really, it's it's a balance. It's not it's not because anarchy is more like ultimate freedom, right? Literally, everyone go do whatever you want. No government. Right. That that's freedom. I think what I believe in is a balance where it's freedom, including the freedom to organize and decide about these different um, characteristics that we have to balance between to build an optimal society. Right. So that really is different from ultimate freedom. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I did hear what, you know, some really interesting models I've heard about recently. It's like from Daniel Espina, who was on the show, who I, I'm sure, you know, um, uh, definitely a thought leader in, in the Dow space as well. And uh, he used the example, and I, I wish I could remember the technical term for it. He studied, you know, organizational something, you know, structures and stuff in, in college or PhD, super smart guy. Um, but what he's talking about is like the judge and jury system. Why can't we use that to make other types of decisions other than criminal decisions? Like we found this really important decision that we don't want to screw up. We want to screw up as rarely as possible. And we applied this decision making structure to it. So what about big corporate decisions? Maybe like deciding the strategy of the company or the budget for the year um, or if it's, you know, a nation, right? The policy for how late people are allowed to stay out at night, whatever the thing is. Why not use a judge and a jury where you have a either randomly selected or pseudo randomly selected group of people who will be deciding on the facts and then an expert judge who's like sworn and trained to follow the law, the Constitution, whatever exists, follow a process, help the two sides or whatever the sides are debate you know, the merits of the points and then come to a conclusion, you know, based on the jury's findings. And I think that to me, that was a brilliant suggestion. I mean, it, it, I, I don't think anyone knows how you could actually apply that efficiently 
you know, very frequently. I guess I should ask Daniel that too. But um, but but that's interesting because that is kind of a different model of of governance that I don't think we do use in almost any situation aside from the court system for, you know, criminal and, and non-criminal offenses. So, so there are other things out there that I think are potentially worth considering. I, I agree entirely. Um, there's an, another example I bumped into recently along those lines as well. Uh, now I'm, I'm not, I'm not supporting it or against it. I'm just saying it's an interesting concept. So in the ApeCoin DAO community, there's a, a group of people in there. Uh, one of them's name's Karma. He was one of the electorates for, for the governance committee. And, uh, you know, I've been chatting with him a lot, fellow Canadian, nice guy. And um, he's put together this consultancy basically. And it's a free consultancy. It doesn't cost money. It's just a group of people that uh, look and study various proposals in different DAOs. And based on the group of people studying these proposals and then formulating their opinions, they then act as a delegate for uh, other people to you know, direct their votes towards. So you could say they're kind of like a liquid democracy style. You point your votes to them and they'll make votes on your behalf based on the research that their team does. And of course, if you don't like the research their team does, you just stop delegating your votes, right? It's easy as that. But um, it's the concept of having a group of people that are intentionally working together to analyze various proposals and help narrow down, do they think it's a good idea or a bad idea? Because the average, like, for example, I'm a, I'm a part of, I, do, I actively vote in, I don't know, six different DAOs right now. And, uh, you know, I'm a full-time in, in the space, so I don't mind reading through every single proposal and making decisions. But often I'm even making decisions on a very, very limited basis as well. And um, uh, so so this so just like you're saying, it's not a judge and jury system, but it's a group of, of full-time dedicated people with the intention of making better decisions in the space for other people as well. And, and I think that this is, uh, there's something there to that. There's something that, that there's somewhere that this can go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to bring it back to like where we started this whole conversation, um, which was about uh, stakeholders and how do you get the right representation for the right stakeholders? I think in any of these systems, there's still the issue of giving the right stakeholders the right amount of power, or at least, yeah, yeah, the right amount of power. So in almost any situation, you'll have something like customers, employees, maybe managers, something like investors or shareholders. I guess you don't always have to, but whether you're picking a jury or a consulting group or a working group or a, a, a representative, your representatives to make decisions for you, whatever it is, we're going to have to find ways to balance what I, I think will always be different stakeholders. And it's not like everyone can only be an investor or a user of a protocol or, or you know, project, for example. But I think we always, for the foreseeable future, at least we will have investors, we will have users, we will have contributors or employees or contractors or whatever you want to call them. We will have government or governance, you know, that pays attention to how things are done. And so, you know, we, we will have to find ways to balance these different stakeholders, whatever the structure is. Um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be direct democracy. I, I think that that's clear. It, it, it's not going to be fully centralized like it has been. I think that that much is clear. I think there's way too much momentum outside of, you know, it's not just DAOs, right? It's the, the invention of Bitcoin in and of itself is a decentralization. Do you, okay. Um, do you think that Bitcoin is the first and most successful DAO? No. I, okay, it, tell me if why. If it were I'm, a DAO, it would it, yeah. be the most successful, yes. But no, I, I, I so I think there's a really it's decentralized. You know, they it's, do vote. Yeah, in. it's decentralized, but I don't think it's an organization. It's definitely decentralized, okay. definitely autonomous. So here, here's where here's where I would try to draw a line. I also think people call themselves whatever they want. It's not my business. <laughs> but um, uh, so to me, there's a big difference between a protocol 
which is governed and an organization. And, and I think that that pattern shows up all over crypto, right? Like just because there is this software living on the blockchain, right? That's a protocol, open source, everyone can use it. And it needs to be governed because there has to be some kind of mechanism for deciding when it gets upgraded, right? Everything in life so far is upgradable, right? From the first, you know, atoms and cells all the way to the organizations today. Um, and uh, that mechanism might look a lot like a DAO's governance mechanism. It could be right in a lot of modern blockchains, even layer one blockchains, there's a voting system built into the protocol for making upgrades to the protocol. Same with a lot of dApps, right? Whether it's DeFi protocols, you know, Uniswap, a good example where, you know, the voters have to approve a change to the fee structure or other elements of the protocol. Um, uh, so... So, so, so just because people are making those decisions, I don't think that makes it an organization. And I think that's actually important because organizations have certain like legal treatment. There's a lot of like issues that usually apply to organizations that don't necessarily apply to those situations. And their governance structure might also just be like in the case of Bitcoin, it's just choosing your mining software. Right. Which blocks do you accept and not accept? And if 25, you know, if a small enough amount of people wants to choose their blocks differently, depending on if it's a soft fork or hard fork, which is complicated, we won't get into it. You know, one thing or another could happen. Whereas like if everyone decides, OK, let's move forward or effectively everyone. Right. Then the system upgrades. And so that is a way of making decisions as a group. But I think an organization is when you are more intentfully organizing people in some like consistent shared manner, right? Usually there's like a shared mission or vision or purpose or goal or, or even meme, right? It could be a meme or like there's something that everyone shares they're trying to do together. And usually there is some kind of like assets also. So whether it's like a treasury or a, a name, right? A trademark or some kind of intellectual property. Usually there's something like that that everyone also holds on to together. I, I'd be curious, you know, someone like Daniel Espino, someone who studied organizations, maybe there's a really good definition of what an organization is. But to me, those are the things that make it a DAO or an organization of some kind, as opposed to just like a protocol, which is governed by everyone involved. Yeah, well, and I wonder if, uh, and again, I, I don't have a firm answer to this question either. Uh, I explore it a lot. I think it's an interesting question. And I think mm -hmm. interesting questions like evolve the brain in a positive way. Um, you know, I, I, lean a I am leaning a little bit more towards possibly uh, that, that Bitcoin could be a, a, a DAO in, in, in an expanded definition version. You know, there is a vision of better money for the world, of resolving centralized and manipulated money systems across the globe a vision of like single currency for humanity moving forward. Um, there is like the IP of the blockchain technology itself. A lot of people in the Bitcoin world, they don't call it blockchain technology. They call it Bitcoin technology because without Bitcoin, there would be no blockchain. Bitcoin invented it. Therefore, it's not an IP because it's open source, obviously, but but that is their technology. So um, anyway, I think I think it's an interesting question. I mean, it people is. that are listening right now, you know, I, I'd actually be curious to hear what people listening right now, what they think about it. It could be a good, uh, you know, Twitter discussion, um, whether it's on thread or a space. But uh, if anyone listening has a different perspective or, or uh, you know, DM, DM Adam, DM me. I'm curious about it. Totally. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I appreciate the comments from uh, Joshua Hale. Uh, in, in on, on LinkedIn, we are seeing your comments. So everyone also feel free to comment live. Um, you know, Josh was excited about Beanie Baby Dow and uh, burning down the system, I think somewhat facetiously. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't see the comments. Well, what are the other comments? What, what are people saying? 
Uh, well, so th there was a question earlier. So from the, the only ones I'm seeing are from Josh so far, at least that's what's being pulled into uh, StreamYard. But Josh asked how to reward a VC when all decisions are made by pure democracy. They're used to throwing their weight around as 10% owner. So it was more about uh, what we were talking about earlier. I don't even necessarily need to revisit it now. In fact, what I'd like to do, let, let, so this has been amazing so far. We already only have about half an hour left. Let's go through some of the structure we usually go through on the show. Um, you know, normally there's a news report. I'm not going to go through every story. Um, in fact, I just want to talk about one story and then people can check out the rest in the show notes. Maybe I'll do a quick overview of the other stories. And then I do want to dig a little bit more into what you're working on now. And we can relate some of these things we've been talking about to, uh, to what you're working on. Um, before I go into the one story, I want to talk about just a quick uh, uh, advertisement for uh, my company, MyDAO, which is the sponsor of the show. Just reminding everyone that we do legal and regulatory frameworks for DAOs and Web3. And if uh, anyone needs a Web3 lawyer, we also have a partner network of over 300 Web3 lawyers, including Joshua Hale, who's sending the comments, um, who uh, we can connect you with the person who's like perfect for your needs, right? Whatever it is that you need from a legal or tax advice or other professional advice perspective. So please reach out if you're interested in any of that. So the the one news story I want to do this week uh, for the Just Dow It News Report is actually an article that, that you wrote, uh, Meme Brains. And so, um, and it's awesome. Uh, this is actually, so this is on uh, banklesspublishing.com. So it's, it's a platform from the Bankless DAO where there's a lot of really great content on a regular basis. And the headline of the article is DAO Pain Points and Paths Forward a solution-focused discussion of current DAO challenges from across the ecosystem. Now, this article is based on a two-hour Twitter space that I was also part of. What Meme Brains did, which was so cool, was gathered about 10 or 15 thought leaders from across the DAO ecosystem and asked all of us to think about, like, what is the number one pain point facing DAOs today? Uh, and then we also, you know, talked about possible solutions and, and other, other such things. A lot of the kind of stuff we're talking about on the podcast so far today. So I just want to give you the chance, Mean Brains, if you want to just highlight for the audience, like, why was this fun to write? What, what, were, what were the highlights for you? And, and maybe, maybe like, what did you take away from this experience in terms of like what we do need to do differently uh, or keep doing in, in the DAO ecosystem? Yeah, no, thanks. It, it was a lot of fun to write and to do the space too. Some of the things that I, so again, a, a lot of my time in CityDAO means the more time I spend in one place, the less time I spend somewhere else. And the same goes for everyone and everything. And there's a lot of DAOs focused on their DAO and running into the same stumbling blocks that other DAOs and other people are running into in other organizations. There's the bridge of communication sometimes is either broken, missing, or incomplete. And doing a space like this, specifically focused on thought leaders in other DAOs, helps to open up that communication to decrease the amount of pitfalls that we bump into and increase the amount of you know, cross-organization sharing um, that, 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 that we can do to, to be more efficient. And so bringing in these, these thought leaders from different groups comes in and it, it forces me to question my own assumptions. It brings new information to the table that other organizations can benefit from as well. And... Um, and it's an engaging discussion that I think moves the ecosystem forward. It's not about a DAO. It's not about an individual. It's not about money. It's not about, you know, any one single thing. It's about the future of humanity in my mind. Like I said, DAOs are uh, the natural evolution of human organization. And as such, uh, how are we working together as an ecosystem 
to move forward and, and to share and, and, you know, be more effective. And so um, doing these spaces brings like, sometimes I, I feel confident about a view that I have. And then someone like Daniel or, or, you know, fill in the blank from other dial, they, or Grace specifically too, uh, comes and just challenges all my thoughts and, and makes me, makes me re like, it makes me question how confidently, how confident I am in my assumption and how able am I to articulate it and talking one-on-one -on -one with yeah. people with different views does that. Now, let's talk about the definition of an argument. Usually, the North American definition of an argument is two people trying to decide who's right. I'm going to suggest a different perspective. What if an argument is two people trying to seek the truth? What if two people come into a discussion and they say, you know what? We want to find the truth. I want to find the truth. I think I have an angle. You think you have an angle. But we both recognize that maybe neither of us are right. There is an objective truth out there that we want to seek and find together. And that to me is a productive argument, right? We want to find that truth together. And that's what the space is about. And the article is to just summarize that space and the different viewpoints of the different, you know, there's, there's like there's 12 different pain points identified by 12 thought leaders, including yourself. And none of them are wrong. All of them are probably right. They're probably uh, applicable in different scenarios, uh, more so than others, depending on which individual we're talking to or which organization we're talking about. But they all force us to think about these things and to consider you know, what is the path forward on this, right? we got 12 thought leaders, 12 different uh, pain points, 12 different potential paths forward, right? This is, this is a, a catapult on solutions. Instead of me having to go around and, and experience 12 pain points on my own and figure it out on my own, I can, you know, I can go through the article. I can participate in the space. I can talk to people that are, um, you know, ahead of me in the industry and, uh, and, and learn from it. So I, I, I hope that and, and what I'd like to do is continue doing these thought leader spaces for the ecosystem as an ecosystem. They're not branded. There's no shilling. It's just, hey, if we want to see the future of human organization move forward, let's let's contribute collectively, uh, you know, towards that. And um, I'm not a writer by trade. I don't sit there and write. I talk. I talk too much, way too much. And, <laughs> and to, and to sit there and 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 write is uh, it's not my natural skill set. It, it's it's a really bizarre experience. Sometimes I hate it. Oh my God. And other mm. times it's so rewarding and so fulfilling. So um, mm. I, I'm very new in the writer's journey in the writer's world. And uh, you know, when, when you bring it up or, or share it and people share it as well, then it, it kind of justifies, Oh look, someone actually read it. Maybe I should do more. <laughs> yeah. You know what else? If, if anyone's looking for like 12 great people to follow on Twitter, I guess I'm biased because I'm, I'm one of them, but um, you know, check, <laughs> check out this article. You will find a number of, of thought leaders who, who like to share their views and, and have different views. And, you know, to your point about like what makes uh, uh, for a good argument or perhaps a better definition of argument, which is a couple of people trying to find the truth, you know, it reminds me that a lot of what we do in DAOs is governance, right? Like to me, that's like the a core feature of a DAO is you're governing something. Right. You don't have to be doing all the stuff. You could be governing, again, a management team. You could be governing a resource that does its own stuff, like whatever it is. But we're governing. And in the world I live in outside of crypto, so like my real world around me here in the physical world, you know, I've sat on a lot of boards, like some nonprofit boards, some for-profit boards. And I do notice that, first of all, most people are not involved in governance. Right. Most people are not interested in serving on especially nonprofit boards where not only are you not getting paid, but you're probably paying to be on it. And when I sit on these boards, I would say that it does take a certain type of person to be able to be a good 
governor or board member. And a lot of it does have to do with having the right attitude of like, look, we're all here to try to find the truth together. Sometimes we'll find consensus. Sometimes we'll have a vote and then we'll agree to disagree and move on. But if you have one person join a board who is who's doing the other type of argument, it could ruin the whole the whole board. And so the board has to vote that person off, right? Or you won't be able to move forward. Like you mm -hmm. can't have one person who's like, no, I'm right. I'm not here to just like try to find truth and then move on. I'm here because I want everyone to agree that I'm right. It literally won't work. And, and so I'm, I guess I'm just curious to see how that, that applies to the world of DAOs where we're saying, hey, we want everyone involved in governance. We want to you know, give, give people the right of governance as like a benefit of participating in all kinds of ecosystems. It's curious, curious to see how that will work out. We're talking about a vitocracy, right? The, the ultimate democracy naturally evolves into a vitocracy because when you have a, a democracy yeah, what is, doesn't what does that mean, mean a vitocracy. So yeah. when, whoops, wrong button here. When, um, when we talk about democracy, we think about everyone having a vote. But just because everyone has a vote doesn't mean that everyone has to agree. And that gets very difficult because when, when people are given the power of a vote for the first time in their lives, what's the, what's the worst thing that you could do? You could have their vote mean nothing because then it's just a gimmicky, fake, you know, fill in the blank. It's, it's, it's not real anymore. It's, it's might as well have no vote at all. If my vote's not going to count and people aren't going to listen to me, then there might, have not, not, there might as well have not been any vote at all. And so um, in, a, in a democracy where everyone has a vote, people that, that have a different viewpoint and people that doesn't get respected or doesn't get moved forward on, they feel like their vote was useless and they get very angry. They rage quit or they start yelling and mm. spreading bad news and the FUD. Um, and and, and be, when you have a, a thousand people in the room, you're going to have people that always disagree. They don't always agree on the same thing. It's hurting cats, right? Everyone's going to have a different perspective. And, um, uh, and, that, and that leads to uh, a lot of arguments and it leads to frustration, it leads to friction points. And sometimes it can lead to just inaction. When, when we can't make a decision because we can't all agree on something, it leads to inaction. And that's where the definition of a vetocracy comes in, where you have a group of people that want to move forward, but a small group of people say no. And they say no so loudly that it, it stops anything from moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why I say in a, in, a, in, a, in a true direct democracy sense where everyone has a vote and we're trying to respect every vote, uh, you can end up in the vetocracy world where you just don't move forward at all. So um, how do you move forward with a majority vote, even though a lot of people don't agree? You know, I've, I've voted no on proposals that ended up passing forward anyways. And sometimes somehow I got to swallow that and deal with it. And it's frustrating. But you know what? That's just part of being a group of uh, part of being a democracy. If I don't mm -hmm. like democracies, then then I should go, you know, move to Russia, you know, or something like that. or Move to, to North Korea, because if I actually think that's better then you know, there are places in the world I could go live and that would happen. Um, mm -hmm. so the, the, and, and again, coming back to what I was saying before, the direct democracy initiative in my mind is dead. It's not going to move forward. There has to be some sort of a representative democracy, um, that, that, that is liquid and, and allows us to move forward, even though not everyone agrees. You know, I went to, um, when I was younger, I went to the seminar and it was a experiment on voting. And, uh, there was a, a 500 people in the seminar, seminar, 250 people in one room, 250 in the other. And you got a volunteer. There's one person as the the um, the leader, you could say, of, of each group or the facilitator. Uh, I ended up getting picked at, picked as the, the facilitator of one group. And each room had to make a decision. 
Uh, and based on that decision, the other group would make a different decision. And then the other group would make a decision, but we're disconnected. And there's a runner that goes back and forth. And so when, when, when the runner came to our room and presented me and our group with, okay, this is the next decision you have to make. It was my job to collect the votes of everyone verbally, just sort of in the middle of the room to, uh, to make the group decision so that we could, you know, move forward. And I got, I got, it was one of the most difficult things I had to do because uh, at, at that time, because there were some people that didn't agree with what decision we were going to make. And you can see they, once we didn't move forward on their decision, they stepped away from the circle. They stopped raising their hand. They stopped participating. They closed up. They put their hands in front of their chest and they got frustrated, resentful, and angry. Even though 99% of the room voted against what they wanted to do, that was their behavior. And it's, and, and that's a, if that spirals or grows, it can undermine and destroy the vibe of teamwork of, of, of collaboration yeah. and it can be a negative thing. So um, somehow hmm. we have to accept that in a group, we're not always going to agree. And if we don't always agree, that's okay. I have faith in the group that even though this might be a hiccup uh, or maybe I'm even wrong, we're still going to move forward and, and, and be productive. And, and I think, you know, to try to apply it to like very specifically what DAOs deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, to me, one of the most important things you can do to help avoid those types of problems is make sure that people know what they're getting into if they join the DAO, right? Like ha if, you, if there's a constitution that says, look, this is a, a, a democracy, a representative democracy, we want to respect whatever the group's decision is, and we want everyone to want to stick around regardless, you know, versus another DAO maybe wants to do thing, things by consensus. Maybe another one says, hey, if you don't like it, there's a rage quit, right? Like certain DAOs have a rage quit function where, you know, it, it, after every vote, there's a period of a few days where if you don't like the outcome of the vote, you can quit the DAO and take your portion of the DAO's assets with you. So, you know, lots of different models. And, and maybe the DAO has a very specific mission or way of making decisions, right, that you may or may not like. Make that clear. And if you're going to join a DAO, make sure you know what that is before you join. I think that can hopefully minimize some of these issues where you get a person who is just not going to fit with the type of organization that, that you're trying to run. Hopefully they'll self-select out and, and not join in the first place. Yeah, you know, and and this is a, a part of the evolution that I think we're experiencing that that it's going to last for a long time. Uh, how do we? Because what we're talking about is what is the path forward for humanity in governance? Period. I'm not talking about just crypto. I'm talking about our political spheres, uh, corporate structures. Like, if I had governance rights over my local gym. And by paying my subscription or whatever it happens to be, I could help make decisions on which equipment to buy or, you know, what expansion to do or which employee to fire. I have a few thoughts. Um, <laughs> it would change my experience with the gym or with the local restaurant or with the local, you know, uh, maybe even a local bank. Uh, mm -hmm. un un until the realm happens where, where fiat isn't needed anymore, that transition period, you know, maybe a bank, maybe um, um you know, maybe the building I live in, you know, like you have a, a condo board inside of a, a building that makes decisions and it's all done through voting. But, you know, how transparent is it truly and how much of a vote does an individual resident actually really have on some things? You know, I think yeah. that there's um, the, the concept of having a voice is what I'm going to call it. The, con the, the spirit of having a voice is burst. The cat's out of the out of the box and it's never going away. It's only going to grow. Yeah. And this yeah. is where DAOs fit in. And, and yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. a long road. And, and it's having a voice in a system with transparency, guaranteed compliance, 
you know, censorship resistance, right? It can be that simple, right? It can be just like an HOA, for example, homeowner association, but with transparency, enforced compliance and censorship resistance, and maybe one or two other features that, that DAOs and, and blockchain bring, you know, and by the way, I think really good examples of what you're talking about are in between uh, individuals or families or homes and cities where today, like we have cities, states and national governments, but we don't have anything in between the city and the home or the homeowners association. So what about like the local park? So people have probably heard, you because know, I talk about, it, I live on an island. There's like 120 houses on this island. We have a park, there's a few other shared resources. And if we want to upgrade the park, we have to go petition the city council that represents like 100,000 homes over a huge you know, area of land with over 100,000 you know, citizens. And everyone from every little group of 10 to 100 homes, if they want to do something on their little area of land, they have to go, go petition the city government, which has all the money. So what if the city, and I really think we're going to start seeing this happen you know, in the next decade or so, um, what if the city said, you know what, we're going to start giving some power back to smaller groups of people. We're going to let this island manage its own park and its own budget, like whatever we've historically spent on that park, we're just going to permanently allocate towards this, this community, right? Or maybe we'll let them like pay their own taxes into their own entity, their own DAO, and then they get to decide what to do with their park and we'll just stay out of it. And I know it sounds really difficult and it's hard to really imagine in the world that we live in, but I, I just think philosophically it's on principle, like that is the direction we're going. Just like, you know, when we talk about more democratic companies, like, I, I think it's really important to use the, the nation state model and say, look, most people would prefer to live in the democracy, in the representative democracy, right? Even if they complain about it a lot, they would rather live there than in the alternative in, in most cases. And I think the same thing is going to happen with companies. We're going to say, wait, this is really difficult and people make the wrong decisions and we hired a really bad CEO or the, I hate the other 50% of the people governing the company. But when still, when you have the choice of being part of the democratic, the more democratic company or community or project or software or whatever versus a less democratic one, we're all going to start choosing the more democratic ones because it's just, it's going to be preferred by people. And so that's why DAOs are going to take off, right? That's why everything's going to be more of a DAO and less of a whatever it is today in the future. Um, let, let me turn to real quick, the rest of the news. I'm just going to literally summarize these headlines and then everyone should check out uh, in the, in the, the tweets and the show notes, um, all these stories if you want to. And meme brains, what I want to do once I read all of these really quickly, choose what you want to react to or respond to or, or your favorite item or, or something like that. And then we'll spend the last 10 minutes or so digging a little bit more into what you're working on. Um, so there's an article from uh, Hacker Noon. Uh, this one is called Combating Climate Change, the Power That DAOs Have. Uh, so go check out uh, Hacker Noon for, for that one. Uh, we have an article from Decrypt. The headline is, Lido Finance DAO Moles introducing new, new dual governance model. Uh, LDO holders currently hold the keys to the bank, which could put the, the Lido Finance's staking community at a disadvantage. Okay. Coindesk, the headline is Israel consults public on DAO regulation, sets up special examination team. The team will examine required corporate status, taxation, and other aspects of DAOs to create legal certainty and reduce risks, the government has said. Uh, this one is from TezosCommons.org. It's called DAOs on Tezos and lists uh, a number of DAOs in the Tezos ecosystem. 
We have a tweet from Optimism, which is at Optimism FND. It's the Optimism Foundation. And it's a tweet thread, but I'll just read the first one. It's time for the next chapter of Lala Lavender's Dow Research. This week, we're unpacking, unpacking the complexities of organizational structures, specifically the power dynamics that exist within DAOs. Let's jump in. I wish I could summarize these for people, but we just don't have time. That's a good one. Super interesting. Yeah, it's a good one. And by the way, Lala Lavender, whoever you are, please please come on the show uh, or reach out because we, we keep having uh, uh, things written about your research. Um, and then finally, a tweet from Reagan Bozeman. Uh, the tweet is actually a, about a Wall Street Journal article um, where... Uh, they share a note written from a venture capitalist to the venture capitalists uh, portfolio companies about how they need to hunker down for a really difficult 24 to 30 months ahead and like do everything you can to save your cash because you're not getting any more for a while um, in, in the crypto space. So interesting article there. All right, uh, Meme Brains, I know this is tough, but pick, pick one thing you want to react to or, or highlight. Let's talk about Lala Lavender's. Uh, what was, can you read the headline again for Lala Lavender? Yes, sure. So um, I'll, I'll just read the, the key line here. So in this tweet thread, and maybe I'll just briefly summarize a little bit more, they unpack the complexities of organizational structures, specifically the power dynamics that exist within DAOs. And I'll just summarize based on, you know, having read this the last couple of days, um, really what this tweet thread is talking about is that whether you like it or not, there are organizational structures, like social and political structures in any system, in any organization. And therefore, it's important to actually call them out and make them explicit so that everyone knows what they are and can participate in them. In them. So like some, and, and I think this is a response to some people arguing for less structure in DAOs because it's possible to have less structure, maybe do more direct democracy, for example. Um, but what Lala Lavender is arguing here is that there's really no such thing as less structure. And if you just, if you don't state the structure ahead of time, a structure still develops, but it's just arbitrary. Uh, it's, it's emergent. It, it, it probably gives more uh, power to the loudest voices, the most popular people, um, stuff like that, rather than you putting in place a system that if you want could be more fair or equitable or at least structured intelligently ahead of time. It, to me, I interpret that as uh, education and transparency. Right. There's um, I, I think that everyone that's interested in this space, everyone has a simultaneous interest in becoming better educated on how things could be moving forward. To be involved in crypto is to be curious. To be involved in DAOs is to want to have my voice heard and to see like where this goes, to have more ownership. And I, I think we should definitely re have you talked to Lala Lavender? I think this would be a great conversation. No. Okay, yeah. we, we, no, maybe, maybe we'll do a, a collaborative effort. We'll try and like bring him on uh, That'd for be an awesome. episode at some yeah. point. Yeah, no, we, yeah. We should, I think I'll do that today, definitely, uh, as soon as we get off here. Um, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, because, uh, because, because it's true. There is an organizational structure that functions on everything. How closely, everyone listening to this, how closely have you truly analyzed and, and how well do you understand the organizational structure of your current government right now? Exactly how the voting processes work from the, the smallest level to the highest level, the flow of events, the, the flow of voices, the, the budgeting, the reporting on the budgeting. How well do you know it? On a scale of one to 100, think about it. What number would you pick? How well do you know that structure? I'm going to say that in the Canadian system, I probably understand the Canadian system probably at a level of like five out of 100. And I, and I say a number that's so low 
because every time I explore and start to understand more of how the Canadian system works, the more I realize that I don't know. And the further mm -hmm. I look, the more I realize I know less and less and less. And, and so I come up with a very low number. And um, just because I don't know it doesn't, it's out of sight, out of mind, right? Just because I don't know it doesn't mean it isn't there. It is there. It's governing everything that's going on around mm -hmm. me. Why did uh, why did inflation go up? Why did housing prices change? Why did um, you know why did my tax structure evolve? Why does Alberta taxes very different than Ontario? What are the implications? How much money from Alberta goes to Quebec and why? Where does that money go? How is it used? Uh, where is it used? Who benefits from it? Uh, on and on and on and on and on. And um, as as more people are curious about these questions, I think it leads a natural uh, it it. it it brings brain power into the ecosystem on how do we do it better, whether that's through a DAO or anywhere else. And so this concept of the education and transparency to me is what I take away from that headline and why I want to talk to Lyle Lavender a little bit more. Um, and I think it's the upside is infinite and the downside is nil, zero. Full upside, zero downside, education, transparency, Lala Lavender, you take my pick of the day here, um, Wednesday, August <laughs> 2nd, you win. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. But you forgot to mention again, a uh, hockey, you know, like who gets the hockey team between Alberta and Ontario or who gets the better hockey team, you know, would seem very relevant to everyone's life as well. It is. Uh, and, and there's, I, I've heard of a group that was looking at buying a hockey team, kind of like how Kraus is doing. I don't know which group that is. If you if you're listening to this right now and you know where that group is or how to find them, I want to I want to talk to them because uh, me too. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is real. <laughs> me too, as people can tell. <laughs> All right, awesome. So let's thank you for that. Let, let's turn a little bit to uh, talking a little and just a little more detail about what you're working on. So I don't know if you want to talk about the project that won a prize at ETH Denver. I, I'd be curious to hear about it or, or something else you're working on. But what is it you want people to hear about? Yeah. So the, the, you know, anyone that's in, and by the way, anyone that's going to ETH Toronto, you know, we'll be there. We're doing a DAO event. It's a cross collab opportunity with, you know, Bankless and Apecoin DAO and, and City DAO. And, you know, I'll be there representing City DAO. So I'd love to meet up in IRL uh, coming up in Toronto, August 15th, 16th. Um, just DM me. I can, you know, give a promo code and stuff. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm working on right now full time is a, it's an infrastructure play for decentralized communities. And, you know, being involved in the ecosystem for this long and, of course, writing a, an article about pain points, you know, we look at these pain points and we, and we write them all down and we and we come up with, uh, OK, here's the challenges. Here's the path forwards. And some of the some of the pain points that I come across a lot are, for example, onboarding or finding information and just navigating a DAO to be able to understand what's going on and, and, and make the right decisions. And often here's the process that a new person goes through with a DAO. You find out about the DAO through a tweet. The tweet brings you to the org's website. The website directs you to the org's Discord. The Discord directs you to the Discord's official links. The official links directs you to the org's Notion page. The Notion page directs you to perhaps the snapshot vote. The snapshot vote references a Google Doc. The Google Doc references a tweet discussion that happened a while ago. The tweet discussion references a discourse conversation that happened a while ago. The discourse conversation is ended and actually took place on a different blog uh, or sorry, on a different uh, conversation platform. Yeah, like on Telegram or something. Right. And so now I've quit my job. I'm researching what happened. And by the time I figure it out, the vote's already done. And, and things are moving forward. And that's just one mm -hmm. single vote. That's the typical onboarding process. That's a problem. So what we're mm -hmm. building is a, a front-end and back-end solution that integrates directly with the community's native domain. 
So you go to an organization's website and right there you can find the treasury information, the transactions that occurred in it, the, the, the labeling of what those transactions are, a, a reporting feature of quarterly or annual reporting directly on the native website, right? No, no friction point. There's nowhere you go. Uh, a history of past proposals, uh, a participation rate of people that were that were active or not active, a listing of which wallet holders of the governance NFT or token have been recently active or not, a mechanism to contact them about things if they want to be contacted, the built-in uh, uh, delegation and the liquid democracy option where you can point towards people that are more active or not and that you align with or not. Um, the the history of which proposals you've participated on and what type of voting uh, have you voted yes or no on some of those? Um, wh what are the wallet holders of the DAO? How who are the whales? What is the whale activity? Are the whales active or are they dormant? All of these questions answered directly on the native website. No friction points. You don't have to go to a, a, a dozen third-party apps. You don't have to go to a dozen Discord channels, uh, and, and, and including Discourse. What is the recent threads in the Discourse directly visible in the native website? It's an aggregation of everything that's important to a DAO inside the native website without going anywhere at all. And to cool. me, that represents a dozen friction points that are resolved. And that, that, that's the that's, first phase of what we're building. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So let me just ask a question about that. And, and that's awesome. I, I I would not have guessed you were doing something so massive um, with this this project. So it's really it's really exciting. It's <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So so one of the things I've a pattern I've noticed in the DAO space that I think will continue is you have these uh, like DAO systems that have certain characteristics, right? Like take like, for example, uh, I think nouns is a really good example. So we have these, na there's nouns DAO, but then nouns uh, helped build the nouns builder so that now anyone can make a DAO that sim works similarly to nouns, but there's like six or seven things that you can customize, right? As long as you're generally following the nouns pattern. Um, and there's hundreds, if not thousands of DAOs have popped up on and some, some very successful already on that platform. And I think you have similar things in other ecosystems. So like the, the Moloch DAO, or, or most people probably know it as DAO House, which is the front end. Um, you know, DAO House has certain things like Rage Quit. They're the ones who popularized Rage Quit. And so Moloch DAOs, DAO House DAOs can have this Rage Quit feature. Um, so you end up with these pockets of like DAOs that work generally a certain way, but still somewhat customizable. And I think what I've seen is tools like like what you're describing uh, often are centered around one of those kind of like models um, because it, it's hard to build a tool that can show you everything about any model. So I'm curious what you guys are building. Is it also oriented around a particular model either that you're creating or that you're um, leveraging from elsewhere for like a certain way of governing an organization? Or are you somehow trying to build it so that you can use any underlying DAO model, you know, governance technology, et cetera, but still collaborate using what you're building? Whatever a community is using, aggregating that into the simple to access interface. So in, okay. in the, so I, I talked to like over a DAO, uh, over a hundred different DAO people uh, and leaders and, and guild members and different levels, contributors before we started the build. And one of the things that I learned through talking to all of these people is that there is no one size fits all. DAOs are as unique as individuals. And if we try to take a web mm. two approach and say, here's a solution that I'm going to quote unquote, force on the market and everyone has to sign up for this solution. It has to function this way. There's a cost benefit. The, the benefit is that, you know, I have control, the, the company ha would have control of process and it's easier to manage. The downside is that if people don't conform to that process, then they don't, they don't, if it's a square peg in a round hole issue, then they're not going to be the right fit. So we designed, the biggest takeaway was that 
DAOs need a governance structure that's as flexible as the community is and evolves with the community. So, uh, you know, we're using diamond smart contracts, which are, uh, you know, infinitely scalable. It allows us to build a, a, a backend governance model that can fit in with the, the existing DAO structure, whatever they're using, as well as evolve and change as the community evolves. It's not a standard fixed contract that can never, ever change. It can be voted on and improved in a completely decentralized way uh, and, and modified, you know, and scaled that way. Um, we're using, you know, internet computer protocol for some of the backend to make sure everything is stored mm -hmm. on chain uh, and, and you know, relatively gasless, like like pennies, like micro pennies we're talking, right? So basically gasless. Uh, Cross-chain features to be able to store certain amounts of data on, on, you know, in a decentralized way without incurring the gas cost of like an Ethereum on every single transaction or every single vote. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, whatever a DAO is trying to do and however they're functioning today, what we're building works with it. You know, we launched the live, the private alpha two and a half weeks ago. We already onboarded the first community. We're right in the middle of onboarding the, the next three major communities right now. Uh, and, it, and it's working and, it, and it's designed to work with the DAO. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it, I like to believe, obviously I'm biased. I like to think that this is a a pivotal evolution for the ecosystem. Imagine DAOs functioning without two dozen third party apps and it, and 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 they're all using their own governance model, however it is. But it's all functioning with a smoother interface uh, and it's all stored on chain. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's kind of my vision. It, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it sounds really hard. I'm amazed that you're, you're already in alpha. Um, ETH Denver wasn't that long ago, but, but I, I feel the pain, right? I mean, I, I, you know, for me, I have my day job, right? I, I'm the CEO of MyDAO and I'm really focused on it. It's early stage startup. And, and I, I'm part of at least several other DAOs that I do feel like I care about, but I, I just don't go. I just whether I, I can't or could or couldn't, I just don't go to the discords. I don't go to the websites. I don't go to the channels where they're chatting in Farcaster. I, I just unfortunately, I just don't do it. But I, if there was just one page I could look at that would like update me on what's going on with all the DAOs and, I, I, you know, and I don't know if that's part of the long term vision, too, but then I would probably participate at least a little bit more. Um, so maybe do you want to briefly share the longer term vision? I, I know I stopped you after like phase one. Um, so where, where does it go from there? Well, the, the phase two is to uh, allow any developer to build their own module that they want to see active for their DAO. Right. Every DAO is different. You know, Nouns has different functions. Uh, you know, uh, Links has very different functions on and on and on. And to let, so we have this, 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 Simplified UI to remove friction. Great. We have you know infinitely scalable smart contracts to let a DAO you know change and evolve their structure. Great. Well, what are they going to implement? What are they going to do? And we want to open that up to be completely open source and open to any developer out there in the ecosystem, whether you're part of a DAO or you're not part of a DAO. Think of it like a Shopify for DAOs. Anyone can build their own module and have that available to the network of DAOs that exist, the whole ecosystem. And the ecosystem can vote in a decentralized way. Do we activate this membership module or not? Do we activate a Harbinger tax module or not? Do we activate a quadratic voting uh, calculation module or not? Do we activate an accounting module that, you know, there's a whole bunch of counting features or not? And, and there's, just like in Shopify, there's a, there's a limitless amount of different things and modules that could exist. And, and we want it to be completely open for everyone in the ecosystem to build their own module and, and work together to move this whole ecosystem forward. So that, yeah. that's the, the longer part is like an app store for, like a, for, for, for DAOs or a Shopify for DAOs. Um, 
So it's a awesome. long time to get long way to get there. You know, uh, we have a bunch of grant money right now, which helps us. The cool thing is I get to go to a community and say, Hey, what do you want us to build? Cause we have some mm. grant money. We'll build it for you. Yep. It's free to use. It moves us all mm. forward. Uh, let's get started. You know, LFG, there's, there's no, there's no red tape. LFG. It's, a, it's the, the advantage of a small startup. LFG. What, uh, what's it called? Node blocks. Or does it so not have a the project. Yeah, it's called node blocks. But the thing node is, blocks. is that like oh. when we integrate with the communities, there's no branding. You don't know it's node block. It's powered by node blocks, mm. but it's not like, mm -hmm. you know, mm. you're not going to the node blocks website, right? You're going to your community's website and the functions in there just happen to be powered by this platform. There's no token. Cool. There's no shill. There's no NFTs. Yeah. We're not selling anything. You could almost say it's a public service. It is a private company, but you know, it feels like a public service. Well, I'm about to go check it out after this episode. And speaking of which, we do have to close, unfortunately. So would you just share with everyone, wh where can they find you and Nodeblocks or other projects on the web or on social? Yeah, just, just find me at uh, on Twitter. I'm MemeBrains, just at MemeBrains on Twitter or at MemeBrains on Telegram. I'm also at MemeBrains on Discord. You know, take your pick. Uh, you know, I, I'm always on the community calls at City Dow. You know, I love that organization. I spend a lot of time working with them. If you're in Toronto, you'll find me there uh, on August 15th, 16th. Would love to just go for coffee or hang out or meet up at uh, at the events or, or for dinner afterwards. Um, yeah, so find me on Twitter. Find me in Toronto. Find me in the City Dow community calls and uh, look forward to chatting. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mean Brains. It's been awesome having you on the show. A quick reminder for the audience, none of this has been or ever is legal advice or financial advice or tax advice or any of that. Please hire your own lawyer and we're not lawyers either. So that's one reason it's not legal advice. Um, it's not and, drinking uh, advice either. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't don't take our drinking <laughs> advice unless you go to Toronto and then maybe you can get some live uh, drinking advice from, <laughs> from Mean Brains. But uh, uh, you know, again, Mean Brains, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Adam, for the invite. It's great being here. We'll see you online at the next space. Uh, let's keep building. All right. Sounds good. And for the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it.